All right, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pick it back up uh, where we left off at. And uh, last week we, we left, or uh, I did it again, didn't I? <laughs> I keep timing my broadcast, so I got to quit doing that. But last time we left off in, in verse 4, and so I just want to take it up there and kind of get a running start at it. Uh, we're talking about faith. And you remember I told you when we started this chapter that these Christians, these Jewish Christians were very discouraged. You know, they had got to the point where they really began to think that maybe they wanted to go back to the Judaism. Maybe they wanted to go back to sacrifices or, or you know, doing something more, you know, that they just weren't satisfied with the grace, as, as even Pastor Ed said this morning, which I appreciated. Grace is enough, Okay. But grace produces something, and we're going to see that tonight. You know, the true faith, a person who really has embraced the grace of God is going to show and manifest things in their life. It's just, it's, it's a natural, or I should say a supernatural byproduct. And so we're going to be looking at that. But this is an encouragement. Paul's giving this as an encouragement to these people. There's nothing better when you're going through a trial or when you've been through a trial to hear somebody give you that... I hate to call it a, a cheerleader, but that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's giving them a reason to keep their eyes on Jesus Christ. You know, don't turn. Hold fast, he said, to your confession. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in the Word of God. So this is really what he does as he begins this. And, of course, let's go ahead and look at chapter or verse 4. By faith, he says, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. So Abel had a more excellent sacrifice, and we talked a little bit about this last time, and just to kind of refresh your memory, what was the difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice? And, you know, we kind of said, was it, was it merely the difference between a tossed salad and a lamb chop? And I don't think so. You know, the fact is, is that Abel came believing and walking according to the example that obviously his father, Adam, had received from the Lord when he offered the sacrifice, which I think is absolutely amazing. Long before the law had ever been given. I just think it's amazing that here are these great men of God, and that's what this whole chapter is about, this hall of faith, you know, the hall of faith of God, and people who walked by faith. Many of these guys walked by faith, as we're going to see, even Abraham, long before, long before there was any law given. And how did they do that? They did it simply because it was passed down. They were doing it out of love for the God and for his word. And so when God spoke, they loved it, they accepted it, and they were moved to do something about it. But not because they had to. It was a get-to. And I know you guys hear me say that all the time. It's a get-to, not a have-to. So often, you know, I've heard people say that when they were a kid, they had a drug problem. Their mom drug them to church. You know what I'm saying? And the, the thing is, is that I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But there comes that time when our kids, you know, they have to embrace this, this grace, this gospel on their own. You know, and it's a beautiful thing to see that happen, but... You know, you have to come to that. But these guys did that. They were just following the Lord's example and just really out of sheer love and, and, and respect and reverence for the Lord, they did that which was right. Cain, on the other hand, here was a guy who brought of the works of his hands 
And everywhere through the Word of God, gang, you, I want you, every time you're studying, mark, make note of these little things. They're not little. They just seem like it. Simple things where you'll see God denying the works of men's hands. Even, even when we get to the, to the tabernacle, when they're building the altar, the Lord told them that they were to use stones that they found on the ground. There was no, not allowed any chisel to be taken to it. Why? Because God will not allow you or me to have any part in your redemption. It is all Jesus Christ. It is all what he has done. And so this example, all the way through the Old Testament, like I said, no matter where you cut it, it will bleed with the blood of Christ, but it all points to Jesus and all to his sufficiency of everything that he had done. And so it's by grace, and, and, and these guys were walking by faith, just wallowing, really, in the grace of God. Abel was a great example of that. And he offered a more excellent sacrifice because he did it out of love and not out of necessity. I think it's interesting, too, that it says that God testified of his gift. And there's been speculation as to what does he mean by that, you know? What do you mean God testified of his gifts? Well, it's been speculated. And I want you, you know, like I said, if I tell you I have an opinion, you're, you're, you're absolutely free to reject it. Uh, and this is, this is just my opinion. Uh, but, I, but I kind of base it on other guys and the, the, through the years I've studied with and and uh, how did God signify that? Well, there's, there's some examples, some great examples. And I'm just going to give you these scriptures. You look them up later. Uh, go back and look up Leviticus 9, 24, 2 Chronicles 7, 1, 1 Chronicles 21, 26. And, of course, uh, the, uh, the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, 38. Now, what happened in those stories? Well, this is where... They offered a sacrifice, and the fire of God literally came down from heaven and consumed it off of the altar. Now, you know God has accepted your sacrifice when he consumes it himself. No fire had to be kindled. The fire of the Lord came down and consumed it. And I tend to believe, and I said this is conjecture on my part, but I believe that that's probably what happened. This is how we know that God testified of Abel's sacrifice that it was good, it was superior to that of what Cain had offered. Abel was a guy, and this is why we're reading of these great men of God and, and, and women of God, is that they left a legacy. You know what I mean? That's really what we're reading. We're reading their legacy. Every one of us is leaving a legacy. You know that, right? And some of us better than others, the legacy we're leaving. Now, we've all had our problems. We've all had our troubles. And we're going to see that as we get farther into the chapter. We've all done things we're not proud of. But gang, it's how you finish, not how you start. You're going to see that. I love this chapter so much, almost as much as I love the rest of the Bible. I love it. I just love every chapter. But this one here is so powerful. Why? Because it shows me these great men and women of God who had flaws, they had flaws, and some of them were deep-seated flaws. But yet, it was how they finished that mattered, and it was how God saw them. And I just thank God tonight for that, that it's not my failures in life that I am, you know, identified by, but it will be at the end. How did he finish? Oh, there was a time, you know, in Doug's life when he, he had an upset. Okay. But how did he finish? That's what matters. How did you finish? Some of us are closer to that point than others. 
I've got loved ones in my life that are very close. You know, they're, they're up there in age. And, and the closer, the older we get, let's face it, I mean, we've only got a certain amount of days that are numbered. Now, granted, they're numbered by God. But our days are numbered. I had a grandson who went home with the Lord when he was four years old. His days were numbered. It's a tough one. But yet we never know, do we? Death does not walk up and say, can I see your ID card? I want to make sure you're old enough. So the key is to be ready. The key is to finish well. You know, we're talking here recently about running the race. Well, let's run the race. We're going, Paul's going to get into that, and, and we're going to see that in Hebrews. But let's run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author of it and the finisher. I, I thank God that even though I'm running a race, how do I run the race? I'm on the back of Jesus. That's how I run it. I don't have to worry about getting weary because Jesus is never weary. I don't have to worry about being tired because Jesus is never tired. Our God never slumbers, nor does he sleep. And if you're in Christ, oh, brothers, you will finish. And you will finish well. There might be a few bumps in the road, but you will finish. And you will finish well. These guys finished well. They left a legacy of love in their life. I wrote a poem. I'm not going to go into it. I'm not a poet. Uh, if I'm anything, I'm probably a songwriter and a preacher. But I did write a poem one time, and it, it hasn't been so many years ago, but it really was, you know, about what would happen. What, what do I want people to say about me? You know, what was my epitaph going to be? Because my father, my, my, my real dad, actually wrote his own epitaph. And it was, it was kind of pretty. It was, it was nice. And it had good sentiment to it. But I gave it great thought. And I just talked about it. I just said it in a poem. Maybe I'll, I'll make copies of it and give it to you. you know, it's a, but, but basically it boiled down to this. The only thing I want written on my headstone is that, you know, I loved a lot of people, but he loved God the most. I mean that. Oh, I love my wife. I love my kids. I, I love a lot of things, but I love God with my whole being. I pursue him every day. And it's always been that way. Now, I've failed him <laughs> in the years I have. You know, as far as in things. But man, he has never failed me. And he'll never fail you. And he has brought me this far. By his grace is the only way we can make it, gang. But it's all in him. And these guys left a great legacy of love. Look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. If you're taking notes, write that down. Mark it. He had this testimony that he pleased God. You'll notice that the he there is in lowercase. Which means he's talking about not God. He's talking about Enoch. Enoch had the testimony that he pleased God. I want you to let that sink in as we read the next verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For all those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
Oh, gang, I'm telling you. This is one of those verses I could preach on for an hour. You're going, Doug, please don't. <laughs> but I could. I'm telling you. Enoch was a guy who was is kind of a mystery man in the Bible, to be honest with you. He's only mentioned one time in the Old Testament. Once. One time. Matter of fact, it's in Genesis chapter 5, 21 through 24. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. I'm going to throw this one in for free. It's not in my notes. I'm just going to give this one to you. Methuselah is a great guy. I like it. Methuselah is famous for what? Thank you. He's the oldest guy I ever lived, right? And uh, no, none of you guys are ever matched that. Okay, well, none of us will. Methuselah, but what was he really? What was he really? Let me give this to you. It's free, okay? I won't even charge you for this. Methuselah was God's timepiece. Do you realize that? He was a clock. Methuselah was a living clock because it wouldn't be until the death of Methuselah that the flood would come. Oh, yeah. Powerful stuff. I'm not going to go there because it's not part of our study. But I just, the word of God is so powerful. It's so amazing to me. You know, here he was, but yeah. And of course, the ark is actually in Kentucky now. Ain't that amazing? That's amazing, too. I just, I love that, you know, that we can actually go see it now. So, but, but, but you know, he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Enoch is a great illustration of New Testament revelation. A lot of people, if you're not, you know, some of you guys are fresh and new to, to really studying in depth through the scriptures. Some of you are not. Certainly some listen by radio on both sides also. There is all kinds of places in the New Testament. When we get to them, I'm going to point these out to you. Enoch is a great example of New Testament revelation. What do I mean by that? There's things that are revealed to us about Old Testament truths that are not found anywhere else but in the New Testament. I've got several examples of those. I'm not going to go into them tonight, but Enoch I do want to mention. And one of them is found in Jude chapter, or Jude 1. Of course, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verses 14 and 15. And it says, And Enoch also, seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So the New Testament revelation about Enoch, even though we're not told anything about him in the Old Testament other than he walked with God, the New Testament revelation of Enoch is that he was a prophet. Enoch was a prophet. He prophesied. And he prophesied some hard things. Now, it's interesting to me that in theology within Christendom, there are certain spurious books that have been introduced into the kingdom of God. You've got to keep your eye out for some of these because some preachers will quote these things and uh, they're just not, they're not accurate, they're not fit to be. And one of them is the book of Enoch. And many people have attributed many prophecies to Enoch which are absolutely wrong and they're spurious. But there is this one that we can rely on and know that it's accurate. Why? Because it's right here in the book of Jude for us. So Enoch was a prophet. I just think it's amazing. But he walked with God. 
In, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, you can just write that down. He says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were and are created. It says that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch actually fulfilled the very purpose of mankind. I've had people talk to me over the years and come to me and say, Pastor, you know, what is the purpose of mankind? And I say, well, the purpose of mankind is very simple, that you please the Lord. God created you to please him. I, I think that's amazing. I'm so thankful for that because God is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. Now, there's a way that we please the Lord, and I'm going to point that out here in a minute, but God is pleased with you. But Enoch was one of those guys that he had this testimony. Now, I, I kind of acquaint him also with John, you know, the disciple. If you read, when we get to the Gospel of John, I'm going to point these out to you because I just think it's amazing. John always said what? He said, the disciple whom the Lord loved. I love that, man. I actually had a t-shirt after I taught through it the first time. I had a t-shirt that said, Jesus loves me best. <laughs> I did. I did. Jesus loves me best, man. And, and everybody in the church started wearing them, you know. I just thought it was cool because I want you to feel that way. You ought to feel that way. And why did John feel that way? Because he had such an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. John was the youngest of the disciples. Many people don't know that, but it's true. We look at the pictures and we see some old bearded man. Nah, no. John was probably 16 years old when he forsook everything else in the world to follow Jesus Christ. He left to follow the Lord. Matter of fact, at the Last Supper, he said John leaned upon the bosom of Jesus. He was a kid. He was a kid at that time. And he was simply laying at the feet of the Messiah. You know, he had found him. He had found him. God loves me best. I love Enoch's testimony. He had a testimony that he pleased God. That was his testimony. I mean, I, I, he probably, people would be talking to him. Hey, Enoch, how's you in the Lord? I please God. You know? I mean, he actually said that. That was his testimony, that he pleased God. You need to have this. I need to have We all need to have this understanding that we are pleasing to the Lord. So often people go, well, man, I've let the Lord down. We've all let the Lord down. And, and really, even in saying that, that's really not accurate. We realize that. Right? I say these things only for the understanding of some people. But to be honest with you, that's not even an accurate statement. How can you let down a God who knows everything? If he is absolutely sovereign, which he is, and knows everything about you, he knew you before you was ever created in the womb. He knew everything that you are ever thinking, ever have thought, ever have done, and ever will do, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows it, and he picked you anyway. Thank God. <laughs> Praise the Lord, huh? You know, that's the way the Lord really sees you. Oh, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. He also says that he walked with God. I've read more books on walking with the Lord than I can shake a stick at. 
I'm serious. I mean, the, the, the Christian bookstores are full of them. You can find every, every different angle that they possibly can ease a dollar out of your wallet for. They will think of it and write a book about it. Don't you find it interesting? And, of course, I've written a book, and I might write another one. And, and, but don't you think it's interesting when Paul, you, when you hear Paul preaching, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, you never hear him quoting a book. I'm just throwing that out there. It isn't interesting. Don't you think that's interesting? Why is that? Oh, because he had the book. <laughs> he had the book. And he was actually in the process of, through God, writing uh, the whole New Testament. And, you know, what more do we need, gang? You know, how do we walk with God? How might a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to thy word? You know, I've hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's how you do it. You know, walk with God. To walk with God, let me give you a simple definition there. To walk with God is to be consumed by God. To be totally consumed by God. To have a real and present sense of his presence in your life. That's what it is to walk with God. I've, you know, I don't know whether I was just ignorant. I, I just was dumb enough to believe it in the beginning and just because of my youth and my, my, my youngness in Christ, I just believed what I read. Now, I can give you a theological dissertation on why I believe the Word of God today after 40, 40 or 40 some years. I can do that now, but I didn't at one time. I just believed it. And I, when I would read these passages that said forever and always, <laughs> I, I made note of those in my mind. And I just always felt like I was in God's presence. And I always felt like the Lord had picked me and had chosen me. Now, some people would say that's arrogance. It's not arrogance. Gang, that's acknowledgement. I acknowledge it. But see, you ought to have the same mindset. You ought to have the same mindset. God loves me best. <laughs> Jesus loves me best. You know, Jesus has chosen me. God, well, God has chosen you too. Now, we all serve different purposes. You know, just relax and let the Lord reveal his purpose to you. So often, we, we, we struggle in these areas and we, we go about trying to find out what is my purpose. Well, first, your purpose is simply to please the Lord. And there's a very easy way of doing that. We're going to get to that. It, it, but basically, you have, if you're in Christ, because Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. Thus, as he is, so are we in this present world, the Bible says. So you're pleasing to the Lord. But walking in faith, just being consumed by the presence of God, having communion with him all the time. Now, I know people, you know, and I don't want you to get the wrong thing. I love prayer. I do. And, 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 and there are people who I think are really called to prayer. I mean, we even call them prayer warriors. I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I kind of like what the, what the Apostle Paul said. I see to it always, brethren, to have a conscience void of offense toward God. I find myself, and I'm not telling you to emulate what I'm, what I'm doing, because this is just the way I live with the Lord. But I wake up in the morning, there's always a verse or a song going through my head. I wake up talking to Jesus. I talk to him during the daytime, whether I lay down and take a nap. I am in constant communication with him, and I mean that sincerely. And he's the last thing on my mind when I lay my head on that pillow. Now, I, I would like to tell you that I'm so spiritual that I have a certain frame of time set out every day. And if you do that, praise the Lord, man. You do whatever God's told you to do. I don't. Every day, all day, 
is my time. And I mean that sincerely. I have, when I'm having conversations with people, I find myself in prayer. Not that I'm not paying attention to you, don't get me wrong. I am, but I'm praying, and I'm still in communication with the Lord. I think that's the way these guys were. These guys were walking with the Lord. They just had that closeness of God, that they were just in his presence. They pursued him. But, you know, the writer of Hebrews here goes on and says, without faith. Now, before Enoch was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What a great example that we have in him. There's too many voices today in pulpits and on radio and television that leave you with the feeling that you are not pleasing to God. But you are pleasing to God. The Lord loves you. He cares about you. He just wants to see you do well for the kingdom of God's sake, that we might brawl others, people, into the kingdom of God. So he is pleased with you. But he goes on, and I want you to make note of this, and he says, but without faith, it is impossible. He doesn't say that it's improbable. He doesn't say that it, it is a slight negative you know, it might not be, he doesn't say, he says, it is impossible to please him. For all those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you've been listening to me for any length of time, and I know some of you have, you've heard me talk about the, the, the gospel of grace, and we say it's grace plus what? Nothing. And that's absolute fact. This is what Paul said is his gospel. This is my gospel, Paul said. It's grace plus nothing. But this statement that Paul makes here, and I believe it was him, I think is a little bit different. It's kind of in contrast, I think, to Ephesians 2.8 when he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God. Here in verse 6 of, of Hebrews 11, we're not talking about salvation when he's talking about this, it's impossible to please God without faith. This is, a, uh, this is how we please the Lord. Now, I want you to get this, guys. I, I really do. It's a two-pronged statement he's making here. It's two-pronged proclamation. Not only do we have to have faith, that is that faith, which the Bible even says God has given to every man, they measure a faith to believe, okay, so even that's not yours, but so God gives that to you in order that you might believe. But he does say this, that not only do you have to have faith, but you have to believe that he is there first. You've got to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder. You notice that and there. There is an and in this. It is conditional. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. Well, listen, I believe in unconditional security. I do. I believe that everything with God is unconditional, except this one. Because I didn't write it. It's what it says. But it makes all the sense in the world. It says, for without faith it's impossible to please God. For all those who come to him must believe. It didn't say, you know, there's no room, there's no wiggle room there. They must believe that he is. And, underline that in there, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So often today, I see Christians who live non-rewarded lives. Non-rewarded. 
who blame their lack of reward or blessing on their own failures. They blame it on their failures. When they see a lack of blessing or whatever, sometimes they start looking at their own problem. Well, maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I haven't done it. They go into the whole works thing. And that really has nothing to do with it. These type of Christians are saved. They're just living a very miserable life in Christ, and that's sad. Don't want to see anybody live like that. Man, we want to see people live victorious. We want to see people rewarded as God would have them rewarded because he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But for those type of people who don't grasp that, consequently they remain in a state of mundane existence in Jesus. And that's sad. I was talking with a young man this morning over in the second service, and we were just talking about the issue of being born again. And I said, you know, the problem is so often people believe in Jesus, okay, and then they just go to church. You, do you, you see what they, they, that's, that's their existence. Now, the rest of the time, they're miserable because the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, and they become unfruitful in the kingdom of God. They don't become unsaved. They just become unfruitful. And they're living very unfruitful lives. And a lot of times they walk around, you know, and they've got that pouty face and they're frowning. And, and we all have bad days. I mean, we all do. But some of these people live that way. And even if they're not showing it on the outside, they live that way on the inside. They just feel that God, and why is that? Well, he says that without faith it's impossible to please him. Well, to God, God has given every man the measure of faith, so you, you are pleasing in that way. Okay? So that's not you. But he goes on. Without faith it's impossible to please him, for all those who come to him must believe that he is. Like I pointed out to this young man this morning, I said, not the problem here. If some people say I believe, and they really don't mean that. So here's what the difference is. When you look at the book of James, he says, you say you believe there's one God, you do well. The devil also believes and trembles. So that kind of belief there in the Greek simply means to assent with the mind that something is true. But in John 3, 16, when Jesus said, whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life, that word means to rely on, to trust in and to cling to everything that Jesus Christ has done. That's the kind of belief he's talking about. That he must believe, rely on, trust in, cling to him, and, and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Huh. It's interesting when you look at the word diligently seek in the Greek there. It means to search out, to investigate, to crave to worship. This is what it means to investigate. So often, gang, we don't have people who are investigating. You guys are. Why? Because you're sitting here. You're going through the scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're, you're digging this stuff out like a fine steak. That's the pursuit of God. That's how you diligently seek the Lord. And I'm telling you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that many of you who have been going through this study, whether you're sitting here or listening by radio, I've heard the testimonies. God is blessing you. God is rewarding you. And you're seeing it. Why? Because you expect it. You expect it. One of the things I was blessed so much as a young Christian listening to Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I remember this to Don Corson and those guys who had kind of grew up under Chuck. And Don was at a pastor's conference I was at, and we, he was just talking, and 
Don said, yeah, you know, he goes, one of the things that always amazed me about Chuck was that Chuck just expected God to bless him. He just expected it. Well, why would Chuck do that? Because the scriptures teach it. <laughs> he just expected it. Diligently seeking him, to, to, to pursue after the Lord, digging in, researching, investigating how Jesus is, how he thinks about you. He says, my thoughts toward you were yay and amen. They're all good. They're all good. Now, I want to throw this one in for free. I want to give you a little caveat to that. Because when you live the kind of life that you expect God to bless you, I'm not talking about asking God for anything. Now, if you feel you have to, go right ahead. I've never had to ask the Lord for anything. I have more than enough. Now, there was a time in my life when I didn't. And that was before I was really serving the Lord. Oh, I was saved. I was saved. I just wasn't serving. But when I came to a realization, and I threw in the towel, and I finally said, I'm going to get, really get real about Jesus, and I want to find out. And I started to really study the Word of God. Here's what I found. I was a traveling musician. This is way back in the eight, early, 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 eight, late 70s and early 80s. I was just a traveling musician, and I was successful as far as making a living at it, if you want to call making the kind of thing I had a living. But there was many times and it, that I couldn't even afford a new set of strings for my guitar. So what did I do? I would take the strings off, and I would boil them. Sounds crazy. If you're not a musician, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I would boil the strings, take them out, dry them off really good, unravel them, put them back on my guitar, hoping that I didn't snap one in order to get one more gig out of them. Because, you know, they were expensive back then. I think I was paying a buck and a half a set. And they were expensive. So that tells you, you know, how much money I was making. Now, as I came to Christ, you know, I never felt worthy. I know better than that now. But at the time, I was young and dumb. I didn't feel worthy to ask God of anything. I just kind of just started serving the Lord. But here's what I found, that as I went through the scriptures, as I realized that I simply had to just bask in the love and the grace and the mercy of God, that God all of a sudden just started pouring out his love and mercy in various ways. Until years later, here I, there I sat, totally without any effort of my own. And I mean this sincerely. I was running a business. I was CEO of a, a big corporation. You know, we, we covered a great in a field that I wasn't even trained in. And I had my own recording studio, a nice recording studio. I had more guitars than I could count, and I had cases of strings. And I remember sitting there one day going, man, Lord. And my partner was sitting there, and of course, we had just came back from Nashville and was having some success. And I came to the realization, and I remember sharing it with, with my partner at the time. And, you know, he pointed out to me everything that the Lord had done for us and everything that we had, the stuff that we had. You know, I could walk into that studio and record any album I wanted at any time. Didn't even, you know, we owned it. And I told him, I said, you know what, Tim? I said, if the Lord was to take this away from me right now, I don't think it would bother me one bit. And I remember what he said. He said, don't, don't say that, Doug. I said, no, I, I, I mean it. <laughs> I, I mean it. I don't care if I ever play again. I've got everything I need. I've got the Lord. I was so content in my heart that I, I would have given. And you know what, gang? Nothing's changed. You know, the Lord has been very gracious to me. He's given me a lot. And I've tried to be a good steward of everything that the Lord has given me. Haven't always been, but I've tried to be. 
But if I lost it all today, and I mean it sincerely, and I have, I've done it, gang, I've done it twice, so I'm not saying some hypothetical, I've been here. It wouldn't bother me at least. Why? Because I read in the scriptures a great man by the name of Paul the Apostle, and he says, I have learned to abound, and I've learned to be abased. But in whatever state I've in, I've learned to be content. Here's what the Lord taught me in it. When I got to that point where I was willing to give it up, the Lord was more than willing to let me keep it. You know, because why? It, it doesn't mean anything. I'm a sojourner in this land. I'm living in a tent. Not just this one here, you know. I live in a tent. That house is a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. We have no permanent dwelling here. But we just seek after the Lord and, 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 and really just crave after him. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heirs of righteousness, the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So, Noah, and like I said, it's kind of relevant that we're even talking about Noah because the ark is setting in Kentucky now. And I have to admit, I was watching that little uh, video that uh, Ken Ham had done, and uh, that thing is, I really can't wait to go there. I really do want to go see it because it, it is pretty amazing. Uh, thing's huge. It's the thing's largest wooden structure now in the world. And it's right here in Kentucky. It's like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of wood. You know, it's absolutely amazing. But Noah was moved by fear, it said. Because of things he had not yet seen. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Huh. Faith, real faith. Is faith that moves. It really is. Noah had been warned of the coming divine event so extraordinary. And most Christians don't even get this, but I want to make sure you understand this tonight. What God told him was so extraordinary in its nature that I'm sure not only Noah, but later on those whom he preached to would have thought it was crazy what he was saying. I mean, I want you to grasp this, gang. The Lord speaks to Noah and says, yeah, Noah, I'm pretty well done. The world is corrupt, and I'm going to start over. Yeah, I'm going to make it rain. Do you know what Noah's response would have been at that moment? What's rain? Absolutely. What, what do you mean it's going to rain? What's, what's rain? It had never rained on the earth at that time. The Bible says that. You don't have to go there. Just write it down. Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read them to you. It says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So the thing that 
God had told Noah to prepare for was something that had never happened in the history of mankind up to that point. Extraordinary thing. That had to be extraordinary to him. Wow. At the time of Noah, it had never, ever rained. It's not unlike today, gang. When we tell people that Jesus Christ is coming back. When we talk about the rapture of the church, many people go, oh, really? Seriously? Yes. Yes. Oh, they've been saying that for years, Doug. You've been preaching that for years. Well, you know, there's a passage in the Bible that said that you would say that. For many will come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things remain even as they were from the beginning. He said they would say that. Why? Because we're talking about an event that is so extraordinary. So extraordinary. And so out of the realm of reason that it seems unreasonable. But God is into the extraordinary. He always has, and he told Noah. But what did Noah do with this information? Noah moved with reverence for the word of God. That's really what the word fear here means. He moved with reverence for, for the word of God. God spoke to him, and he reverenced the word. And then what did he do? He did what God told him to do. He obeyed. He built an ark. It took him over 100 years to do it, but he built one. He built one to the saving of his house. True faith always does something. Now, I do want you to turn this time. Let's look at James chapter 2. Because this is important that we understand this. Because there's always this battle between faith and works. Faith and works. Faith and works. Because you know me, gang. I believe in faith. Grace plus nothing when it comes to salvation. But James is so clear on the issue of works and how these things are integrated into the life of a Christian. In James chapter 2, verse 17, here's what he says. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show you thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Listen, that young man I was speaking to this morning in the second service before we were having service, he says, I just don't grasp it. I said, sure you do. You just don't understand it. He goes, well, explain it to me. I said, easy. I said, when you went to go get your donut, which he was munching on, I said, you came over here and you plopped down in that chair. Am I right? Yeah. I said, before you plopped into that chair, did you check to see if that chair would hold you up? No. What did you do? Well, I just sat down. Did you sit down lightly? Or did you just sit down? Did you, you know, did you gingerly sit down? Because he was a big boy. <laughs> no. I said, so you just plopped down in it like your mom told you not to do on the couch, right? Is that what I'm talking? You know what I'm saying. Yeah. She just plopped down. You didn't check the chair. You didn't say, oh, this might not hold me up. I better check it. You just sat down. You placed it all your faith in that chair. That's what God wants you to do. That's faith. 
See, that's real faith. But see, the real faith that he plopped in, it produced an action. You get it. You see what I'm saying? His action was that he simply plopped down in the chair. The fact that he had faith that it would hold him up, that was a given to him. Wasn't even a second thought. Never even deliberated on it. He saw the chair. He said, this chair will hold me up. Even though he was a big boy and he didn't know what the pound testage on that thing was, he might have been wrong. But he wasn't. And he just plopped down. But it produced an action. And his action was simply to rest in the chair. Just to plop down. Heard a great story one time. There was a guy. He, he was a, you know, a tightrope walker. And, and, and he got up and, and they had strung a line all the way across the Niagara Falls. And he was tightroping out there. And he got out there and a crowd began to assemble on both sides. And he began to go out there and he was doing tricks, you know. He would twirl, he would roll over with his... And people were cheering and cheering and, and he would go out there and then he went to one side and he got him a little bike and he, and he rode out there with one wheel and he got out there on his pole and he's doing these tricks back and forth and he stood up on top of the bike and he's just... The guy seemed like he was just defying gravity. And the crowd was cheering by this time on both sides. And so he went to the other side, he rolled back and he gets a wheelbarrow which had the wheel taken on he puts it on there. He goes... Who believes that I can take this wheelbarrow all the way across? And the whole crowds began to chant, you can do it. You can do it. And so he went out a little bit, and, he's out there, and he got, actually got inside of the wheelbarrow with one wheel, and he's balancing himself in the wheelbarrow. Then he got back out. He walked backwards with it, and he says, who believes? He says, <laughs> they began to put stones in it. And so they put the stones in the wheelbarrow, and he said, who believes I can wheel these stones across the... And they all chanted, you can do it. You can do it. And he saw the one man who was standing the closest to him, who was being the loudest, and he said, how much do you weigh? And the man said, 180 pounds. He dumped the rocks out, and he said, get in. <laughs> get in. That's the difference, see. It's one thing to say that God can do it. It's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. He's faithful who has promised. His word is true. You can bank on it. You don't have to think about it. Just fall into the hands of a loving God. That's all you have to do, gang. It is really simple, but we complicate it so much. But our faith produces that kind of works. True faith is always a faith that moves us to do. Now, don't confuse it with just works. Some of my Calvinistic friends, when asked, well, how do I know that I'm part of the elect? Because they believe, you know, because the Bible teaches about the elect. Well, how do I know I'm part of the elect? And the first thing they will point to is your works. And I remember speaking to a guy who was a Calvinist, and, and uh, of course, you know, uh, he probably thought I was a four-pointer, right? We won't get into that. But, but, but we didn't agree on one point. And I asked him that. I said, well, how do I know that I'm part of the elect? He said, well, your life, your works. Oh, my works. I said, well, let me ask you a thing. Have you ever had a bad day? What do you mean? I said, have you ever had a bad day? It's not a trick question. Have you ever had a bad day? Well, yeah. I said, has your wife ever had a bad day? Yeah. Has your wife ever had a bad day where she didn't clean the house? What do you mean? 
Just answer the question. Has your wife ever had a bad day when the house wasn't clean? Yeah. Did she ever have anybody show up when it wasn't clean? Yeah. Were you the idiot that brought him there? Because <laughs> I know if you did, you was in trouble. Why? Because your wife, although she might have had a bad day, maybe even a bad week, did not want somebody to show up and see her house, which was in a little bit of disarray, and come to the false conclusion that it was like that all the time. Therefore, it is a problem when all we look at is our works to justify my salvation. Do you get what I'm saying? Because, gang, we have bad days, and I've had some bad ones in my life, too. And unfortunately, there were people who looked at it at the time and said, this man couldn't be saved. How could a man be saved and do such a thing? Well, you know what? Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances that lead us into stupidity. <laughs> there are. But you know, the fact is, is that when people look, I, and I, I went, I remember sitting there going over with the Lord going, God, I have been faithful to you in everything for 30 years. And then my producer's words kept recycling in my head. And here's what my producer used to tell me, Doug, a thousand attaboys are done away with one oh gush. And it's true in the world's eyes but not with God, not with the Lord. It doesn't work that way. God is not unjust that he would forget your work of faith. You know, we all have a bad day. We can have a bad week. Some of us have bad years. I know Abraham did. I'm going to close with this. I want you, want you to read ahead because he gets better again. We're going to get to Abraham here in a little bit. But I want you to contemplate this. Abraham, especially to those of us who are Jewish, he's the father of us all. Abraham is our father, they said. They told Jesus, Abraham is our father. But the Bible says that Abraham was the father of all those who walked by faith. Abraham was called to go into a foreign country, to be a sojourner in the land. And it says here in our text that Abraham obeyed God. But read on. Read on. Abraham made a little stop after he left. He made a little stop. And he stopped for about 45 years until his father had died. Then he went on and eventually did exactly what God called him to do. What I want you to note in the scriptures as you read forward this week is that God never mentions anything about his delayed obedience he only mentions his faith. He only mentions his faith. You're also going to read about Sarah. Read it. Sarah was a woman of faith. And she's in the hall of faith here. When, she, when, when God gave her this prophecy that she was going to give birth, what did she do first? She laughed in unbelief. But then not too many chapters later in Genesis, I believe it's 21, she laughed in faith thanking God, even named him Isaac, laughter. But in between the, okay, God, I agree, and to the point when Isaac was born, that couple, this faithful couple, Abraham and Sarah, 
had a few little disappointing moments in their life. Adultery, lying, you name it. And to this day, the results of that sin are still being felt in the Middle East. We're still reaping it because of Ishmael. Because Sarah, in the middle of all that, thought she was going to help God out a little bit and said, hey, I got a bright idea. (laughs) Abraham went, oh, okay. Just like Adam did. Just like Adam did. But the beauty of the text, gang, is that God never recalls those things. Why? Because as we read, God knew he was going to speak to the apostle Paul, and he says, I will make a new covenant with those people. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. God only recounts the good things to those who walk in faith. And that's what we need to see. How encouraging that is to me. And it should be to you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we do thank you, Father, for your word and for your grace and your mercy. And Oh, Lord. And for just using us, Father, as, as vessels and to bring other people to know you. Lord, we pray that you would be with those here or here tonight, Lord Father, especially those who are listening by radio. That your word would simply reach out and touch those lives, Lord Father, that they would be encouraged in their walk with you. So many of us, Lord Father, have and still are going through trials. But what a great thing it is to hear of men and women of, of you who were not flawless, Lord Father, but was faithful. In faithful, Lord Father. They were faithful in their pursuit of you. We just ask for your blessing. Bless them, Lord Father, and bless us all. We love you so much, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.